0: George Lucas's first job in film was a teaching assistant for the U.S. military's cameramen. Later, he writes and directs Star Wars. Oprah Winfrey's first job in broadcasting was reading the news for a local radio station. That's a far cry from the media mogul she goes on to be. Meghan Markle used to do calligraphy for weddings. She went on to be an actor, and now she's a duchess. My point? Career paths aren't linear. They aren't straight lines. Even if you have a plan or a vision of where you want to go, the road to get there can be meandering with plenty of curves and bends, and even the occasional fork. Most lab professionals start at the bench, but there is a whole world of opportunities for you to chase if you so choose. But the options to choose from are plentiful, and the ways to get to each one are equally numerous. The road is not just meandering, it can be poorly lit and challenging to travel. But what better way to navigate the road than to listen to those who have traversed it before you? Those who can look back with the benefit of a rearview mirror and point out the opportunities or obstacles they passed along the way to finding their success. I'm Kathy Bowers, and you're listening to The Objective Lens. So just to be clear, I'm not interviewing Oprah or Megan for this episode, but come to think of it, that would be pretty awesome. Note to self for season four. While their career journeys would be pretty fascinating, I'm sure, I think it's slightly more relevant to stick to professionals that began on the bench in a lab and took their careers in interesting directions from there. Earlier this summer, the CSMLS hosted a panel discussion called Now What?, Creating the right career opportunities for you. The panel consisted of four lab professionals with long and distinguished careers, and those careers took them in many different directions. In addition to sharing their own career journeys, our esteemed panelists discussed strategies to get you recognized in the workplace and help you gain a spot at the table. For this week's episode, we're going to be a fly on the wall for part of that discussion. The panel was facilitated by my podcasting partner in crime, Mike Grant. So you're stuck listening to his voice for the next little while in place of mine. Before we jump into the discussion, I'd like to introduce you to the panelists. Christine Bruce is currently the Administrative Director for Pathology and Laboratory Medicine at the Grand River and St. Mary's General Hospitals in Kitchener, Ontario. She has worked in both private and public sectors over her 20-year career, where she had the opportunity to gain experience in business development operations management, quality, and the integration of mergers and acquisitions. Denise Ivanovich is the regional manager at the Ontario Regional Blood Coordinating Network, or ORBCON. With 42 years of experience, mostly in the field of transfusion medicine, Denise has worked in the hospital, blood collection, and ministry sectors. Jennifer O'Leary has been teaching clinical genetics for 15 years, having previously worked as a senior genetics MLT and teaching technologist. Jen is a passionate, lifelong learner, and her leadership philosophy embraces the concepts that leaders often have no formal title, and one can never underestimate their capacity to influence change from where they stand. Karen Scraba may have begun her career as a bench technologist, but following opportunities and her passions led her to a diverse career in clinical diagnostics, including a stint in Botswana, Africa, before bringing her to the world of medical device sales. These four impressive women had a lot of ideas and opinions on career development, so let's join the discussion.
1: Let's start by talking about opportunities and possibilities. Karen, I'm going to let you start off. What do you think some of the career paths that exist or career options exist for someone who's starting as an MLA or an MLT that may be a little bit more uh, different or diverse than your traditional kind of just moving up tech one, tech two?
2: So I've always thought of, when I look back on my career, for instance, I always think it wasn't that I was headed in that direction. It was like a tree fell in front of me. <laughs> and I was like, well, it's a little too low to the ground to go under. It's too big to go over. I guess I'll go this way and and i think to something that that you just said jen about or no i'm sorry it's denise you have to be ready for something or you have to know that it's coming the definition of of luck is really recognizing an opportunity and being prepared to take advantage of it so when you're starting out you, you go the go the traditional route you know learn your skill really get to understand what what you have to offer, but also understand that it isn't the tasks that you do. What you do is very important, but that's not the be-all and the end-all. It's what are you contributing? How are you helping to improve your organization? How are you helping to improve the lab? Uh, How are you doing things that are going to change the lives of people, both your... Your, your colleagues, as well as your patients. So I think, to me, those are some of the, the things to think about the bigger picture, even as you're starting out, to say, what what's my organization all about? Where do they want to go? And does that fit what I value and, and you know the, the things that you value for yourself, but also to uh, contribute to your community? That was a little roundabout, sorry.
1: That's good, <laughs> good. Denise, can you add to that? And like, how do you uncover what career options are out there? Opportunities might be available to you if you know where to look.
3: So I'm a little bit with the same approach. You know, I think in your core, you know what you like and you know what you don't like. However, if one of those trees falls in front of you and you go, "Ooh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to feel comfortable doing that." Do it because you won't know unless you try. And usually, it's a project. Um, you're not tied to it so maybe it's uh, teaching nurses I've done a lot of that and there's this perception that texts can't teach physicians texts can't teach nurses it's all not true it's that openness and learning to speak their language and how are you going to get that? you're going to get that by getting out there more and more um, same thing when you're trying to influence the upper echelons to maybe give you resources or money to improve something. How are you going to convince them unless you can speak their language? How are you going to learn to speak their language? You're going to take further education, but you're going to be on that quality improvement committee if you can, or that safety committee, so you can learn what's important. Look on the website. What's the buzzwords? What are they interested in? How can you use that to improve uh, lab care and your patient's care? So some of it is if you know what you like in your core, Mm -hmm. go out and see what's out there. But sometimes I think you've got to put yourself in a little bit of an uncomfortable situation because you might find your luck, And if you don't, you still learn something. I don't know if I answered your question. You did.
1: You did. I think you have to explore to find out where your next passion is. So, a few panelists mentioned being the idea of being ready to take on kind of that next opportunity. Christine, I wonder if you could speak to like how how do you do that? How do you? What skills do you need to be working on in order to like be ready for what's next? So,
4: I think that where I have benefited in, in being ready is by getting slowly building the sort of compendium of leadership skills right so not necessarily knowing how to be a a, a tactical boss kind of person but really building the profound communication and um, influencing skills that you that that will help you in any project you're going to take on and i i was in a class a little while ago and everybody was supposed to present something that um had happened in their career that really resonated with them and i'm with a bunch of healthcare folks a lot of them in nursing and they're all up telling these stories about an interaction they had with a patient and they're, they're sobbing, they're hanging onto the podium because they're just so drained from this thing. And I'm thinking, I have got nothing that's going <laughs> to that because I'm not a, a with the patients kind of guy. But what I did realize in that moment was that I care profoundly about the people that are in front of the patients. Right? I care about the people doing the work, having a great place to work. and that. And I've only gotten there because I've taken the time to understand how to Influence really well with and without authority, and how to communicate things really well. And Earthly, you can say, no, you don't. <laughs> 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 oh, that's one of my hospitals. He's like, lying. Um, but I, but I've t- I've taken those 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 moments of either going and getting the, the critical education or being mentored by people like Karen, um, mentored by people formally in my organization. Say so, you know how do you go and and be that guy that nobody wants to follow and and get them to follow you, and and those things have taken me really far because I can be in a in a project or an opportunity and know nothing about it and still corral everybody to follow because of some of those skills and maybe that's come from some of the sales and marketing experience I have maybe it's come from just the mentoring but it's it's all come together to be to make me really enabled to to grab the opportunity at the very least to lead it even if I can't do it myself
1: Karen can you build on that a little bit like what are are some of those key foundational skills you think people need to start investing in so
2: I think all of the skills that you have as a technologist as a technologist, are transferable. If you can understand an organism, you can understand any organization. Mm -hmm. If you know a bacteria or if you know what cells are doing, you're looking at a a structure, a a way that something operates. And and so the skills that you have are drilled into you from, from your training about how to do things, why to do things, when to do things. And I think that utilizing that, but putting yourself, like Denise and Chris have just said, into different situations where you get to try those skills, but in a different perspective. It helps you grow. It gives you the confidence to do things. And that's what it's all about. It's really about confidence. Like, you go in, I don't know... A lot about this, but I'm going to help you through it. You know? and and you do because you're in that situation and you're drawing on things that you already know how to do. You're just adapting. see you nodding.
5: Yeah, I'm just thinking. A lot of it is being being humble, being empathetic, and being a good communicator. And one of the things that I found. Um, When I was nodding when you were saying, but you walk into a situation you don't really know. So walking in a situation with 16 students and people do things that you would, A, never have thought of, B, they come up with something that you've never seen before, and to be able to actually say, you know what, wow, I've never seen that before. Let's walk through how you got there, right? To be able to be honest and authentic, right? And curious. And curious, and, and teaching that or imparting that in other people. And I'll say one of the things from from communication, Denise and I were talking about this before, you know, a lot of times lab techs get the um, bad rap that they want to stay in the lab and not talk to anybody. Well, sometimes it's a matter of not feeling comfortable or not knowing how to broach a particular conversation or not knowing how to give um, feedback of a sample from a physician's office, for example. So one of the things I've really enjoyed in the interprofessional courses with all the professions is actually giving almost like SOPs for communication yeah. and working through those and practicing. So I think if you're talking about skills, that's something you're not comfortable with. Finding those um, strategies and practicing them, practicing them in a safe space, but then, as like you said, taking that step out and being the one who says, "I don't. No one wants to call the doctor. I'll call the doctor." Yeah. Right. So I think um, identifying for yourself what it is, maybe communication is not the area where you're challenged, maybe it is that confidence. So I think really um, being self-aware of where you need to um, improve your skills, I think is is a big part of it as well. I'm going to jump in
3: here, I really wanted to emphasize the authenticity and the honesty. We don't know everything, No. You never never will, and, and I think it's okay. And you should be honest with, I don't know, but don't leave it at that. Don't yeah. try and find out. Yeah. Okay. Be that person that can find the answer mm-hmm. and yeah. build your network. Because, you know, if, and then once, but beware, once they find out you're the person that <laughs> I asks ask I them can them get, them get the answers, <laughs> um, they'll be asking you. But that's how you yeah. learn and that's how you meet others and that's how you grow. And then all of a sudden you've got a relationship with that phlebotomist that nurse that porter and I'm sure you've already done some of that in your career but just just expand
5: it and just to play back. that's how you get more opportunities the ones that maybe are more uncomfortable you step out to something that you are comfortable with you meet in other individuals in that um, realm or in that workshop whatever that is that you're doing maybe it's a like Mm -hmm. you said safety team is the easiest one that all the different disciplines come to um but it it Puts your kind of name out there. Puts your face out there. People now recognize, oh, that was the person who was on the such and such committee. Huh. I need somebody else from lab. There's that person that I've met before. So it, it kind of begets itself.
3: And it gets lab on the yes on the committee. Yes, because a lot of times, um, I was at Choosing Wisely Canada conference and there was physicians talking about how they were choosing wisely with doing less pre-op work and all the steps they'd taken. and I was doing a presentation at that same session, I put my hand up and I said, how many lab technologists and MLAs did you have on your
1: team? And they went, None.
3: <laughs> But that's a good idea. <laughs> but that, now they'll remember.
1: Please tell me more about that, the idea of building that network and establishing those relationships. Like putting your hand up and, and getting on some of those committees is, is one way to do that. How else can you proactively go out creating those and nurturing those relationships? So
3: again, this isn't a hospital environment. This will be the environment I'm in now. So network is even in our name. Um, We get asked a lot of questions, especially from community hospitals, but sometimes big teaching hospitals about transfusion that isn't in the standards. It's almost like when those things happen that aren't in the SOP, you can't make an SOP for everything. So it could be a question about... Uh, They're questioning the physician's ordering practices, that they're over-transfusing. I'm not a physician, so I'll reach out to my physician colleagues that I know. But before I do that, I'll do a little quick lit search and see what I can find out there to see what the more current practices are and have a rough idea of what the answer is. Reach out to the network and say, this is what I found so far to help uh, this hospital, they're right, this physician shouldn't be ordering this in this situation, but it's a touchy situation. And then they'll supply me with more information. Sometimes they even get their policies from other hospitals so that when I give that information to the hospital, they've got a whole barrage of references that they can go and have that conversation. And, you know, peer shame and blame, <laughs> peer pressure, is a great motivator to change practice. So if they hear that a teaching hospital actually has this in a policy and showing a reference thing, why they shouldn't be doing this, and they should try this, you can positively influence practice, which again is more safe for our patients, which is mm-hmm. it's not why we're all here. <laughs> I
2: have a, a, a comment to add around networking. networking sound like it's pretty scary because you're putting yourself out there but in fact you're really just talking to people but what you're looking for is what's driving them what 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 have you got that's actually going to add to what they're doing because that's what they're concerned about and you would like to further your career you would like to get more engaged you would like to be more involved what is it that is that you have to offer that's going to actually help them so turn it around from this is what i'm looking for to tell me about what you do and then you do the math in your head about where where you can start to find an area where you you come together on a topic or or a, a project or a a, a value or a, or a principle
1: that's great Christine, we're going to come to you next. So um, let's talk about educational okay. options. So if you're, if you've kind of gone through that reflection, you've identified kind of what that next step is for you. Now it's yes. about how do I build my resume? How do I build my credentials to be able to make that next <clears throat> leap forward? What, what educational options are out there that are good? Like where should you be investing your time and energy in that regard? Do you have Any thoughts
4: okay. on that? Well, I'd like to, to say that I'd, I'd like to think that I, everything I did educationally was all planned and
2: prescribed. It, guess,
4: not, not the case. But, um, you know, when I got my MLT, I mean, I was led to believe by everyone around me that this year so, we're, we are all so special, right? No one else can do what we do. We've got our, our certification. We're regulated. I mean, no one can be an MLT. And then I learned that, oh, well, actually, anybody could do it if the medical director says you can. So I'm like, well, that's not great. Um, so, so, you know, now what am I going to do to be special? So when I left Life Labs, the uh, well MBS Life Labs the first time, uh, I I was wayward and looking for a role, and I did like a little stint with public health. And when I was downtown doing this year-long contract, I was just sitting in one of the offices looking out, and I saw the Ryerson University uh, sign up just on one of the towers, and I thought, oh, that's I need to do something. And then I learned that uh, St. Lawrence College had an affiliation agreement with uh, Ryerson for their Bachelor of Health Administration, so I got two years of um, Credit for my M.L.T. and I just translated that right into getting the uh, B.H.A. done because as I was looking for jobs, you must have a a bachelor of of whatever. So I'm like, oh, geez, and it doesn't matter what kind of bachelor as long as you had the B, you could uh, you'd be eligible. Well, so like, oh, I guess this is as good as any, and I'm halfway done. This so I thought that's really great, so I did that bachelor entirely by correspondence and night classes, and and while I had uh, my full time job, and then. Um, Ryerson built a Master of Health Administration program which I was lucky enough to get into the first cohort of and so that's a full-time program and I'm just about finished that so one just sort of dovetailed into into the other but in the meantime while I was working there seemed to be this Emergence of Lean Sigma in healthcare. Mm -hmm. And so I was lucky enough to be sort of earmarked to be a a high potential candidate to get a Lean Sigma green belt, which I I got when I was at um, um, MDS and Life Labs. And then when I went to CML, they sponsored me to get my black belt. So I've got a a good, um, a, a good. you know, project management, process management portfolio behind me, but that seems to now have switched to getting your PMP. So I'm like, uh I got too <laughs> many things going on, I can't get a PMP. <laughs> um, and in the middle, when I had my director of quality um, hat on at CML, I got my clinical lab uh, clinical quality manager uh, designation from Michener and it's just I think it's just because it was so accessible right it seemed like a thing to do pretty easy to get at you can do it through correspondence it's pretty um, affordable I totally exploit the allied professional health fund and I, I rob every dollar out of every educational fund to uh, my access um, and then uh, most recently on top of as the master's is winding down I'm finishing my uh, HR certification because it feels to me um, in the public sector especially is that where I feel the opportunity is is that the folks that are working within the hospital world in HR are so nursing centric that
0: I feel like lab staff,
4: there's a gap with how lab people are understood, cared for, um, just how the, the workplace is being cultivated. There's always a nursing lens on it that I feel is a bit of a disadvantage for not just for lab staff, but for any other profession in the hospital. So I decided to support my team better by getting that designation so I could help my group first before I had to bring in all the formal um, HR folks for things, there's a lot of things I can influence as a leader and so that's why I chose to take that um, educational arc. I mean, and I think anybody can follow that path because everything is super accessible and if you have the time or you've got an hour, a couple hours a week that you can do a, an online course and eventually Lego them all together into some sort of a certificate or diploma or degree, whatever, then you're just that much more transferable. When Mm -hmm. when the time comes to apply for that perfect job, and you know maybe I'll be the VP of HR someday. Although anyone who's ever met me, my career is something like, yeah, right, that's not gonna happen. But uh, because people that I met early on in my career, where I was learning the lessons of being tolerant and being a good communicator, they never in a million years would have thought I would have done something in HR. But uh, it it has a really good advantage as a as a leader in lab medicine to know what all of those HR principles are and to be able to uniquely apply them to, to lab professionals because we are not nurses and it's a very different space to work in. So that's, that's my, uh, ed arc.
1: <laughs> Jen, as an educator, when you look at like all the, the plethora of educational opportunities that are like out there, where, where do you see the most value for someone kind of in this profession.
5: I would kind of echo what Christine said. It depends what your goal is, right? So for accessibility and finding out what your interests are, so something like a smaller certificate, either I'm not here to promote missionary, but like you said, to quality. missionary. Quality. So quality. <laughs> um, for myself, like again, same thing. If I had known, <laughs> if I knew then what I know now, <laughs> yeah. um, if I had known, I would have done like a graduate certificate at a university and then rolled it into a master's. Because you can do that, but my, with me, I picked a specific master's, and then I was restricted with what I could do. So again, it depends on what your goals are. For me, it was really flexibility, right? Um, I also would look outside the traditional, it has to be a university, it has to be a, a, a documented certificate or accredited Sorry, I'm gonna speak against predator programs. Predator programs. <laughs> but if there's other things you're interested in, so for example, they had an opportunity to do a debriefing workshop, which I find is actually come in really handy. It's very much like a coaching communication strategy or a coaching workshop. You can use that in so many different applications, right? So it really kind of comes down to what it is that you're looking for. Um, I'm, I'm not going to say don't do a master's program because I did it and I really enjoyed it, but make sure it's something that you're going to be able to enjoy all the components of. And if you're not sure, something like a graduate certificate is a way to get your feet wet and decide, do I really want to do business administration? I know I want to move to like a, a senior position or supervisory position, but maybe it's not the manager financial side. Maybe it's the coaching, teaching, support side that I'm interested in. If you don't know, having a having your toes dip into a graduate certificate is a good way to start, and you can always roll it over into a master's after. So that's that would be my lesson. Then I also am one of the only like non. Um, Internationally educated people have gone through the PLA process through CSMLS because I had to do that. My (laughs) discipline merged used to be just cytogenetics and then just molecular genetics, and then they merged together. So I went through the PLA process. I ended up taking the molecular component and writing the entire exam, which my students said, if you fail, will they take your cytogenetics license (laughs) away? Which I said, that's not very nice. (laughs) So, no, so again, uh, different different education at different times, depending on what was just inter- But you know, don't feel that you have to commit all the way to a full time <laughs> program or a master's program. You may want to dip in until you're sure that that's your area that you're interested in.
1: Karen, I want to come over to you for a sec. If you're if you're at the bench levels, um, how do you start to stand out? Like, what what can you do to kind of flag that you're you're an individual with with potential to do something else? Something more.
2: Sense of humor really helps. Time. <laughs> um, so I, I'm not really sure how how I stood out, but I know that I did. <laughs> because we, you know, I remember the lab director used to come and say, "Oh, that's her," and I think, "What was that all about?" But I think it was it was really all about being. Um, just ready to do whatever whatever came up. So I'm working this bench, but I see that they're really they're really slammed over there. So I finish my work and I go over and I and I help them because that's what you do. You're a you're a good you know good citizen. And, and I think just putting yourself out there, you're talking to people, your 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 uh, attitude is good. You're um, you're willing to help you ask questions, you show your interest. And all of those things are something that your supervisors are looking for. Because they're looking to find the community of technologists who are going to help them improve their lab
1: and and do things differently.
2: So I think it's really
1: just putting
2: yourself out
1: there. Denise, agree? Other ideas? No, I just
3: had a, a career moment. Um, How do you stand out? So a nursing colleague of mine, we sort of developed a whole orientation program for folks. It started at Red Cross but morphed into Canadian Blood Services. So we did um, safety, wimis, GMP, all the fun stuff. Plus we would give everybody coming in would be together. So it didn't matter if you were a transfer driver. It didn't matter if you were administrative assistant, lab tech, nurse, we tried that with the physicians, they never attended the whole thing, but they <laughs> were supposed to. <clears throat> um, and during that transition to Canadian Blood Services, the new CEO and one of the BPs we knew were visiting, but we didn't know when. And Jane and I were in the middle of teaching women's, well, you know how lovely that is. So we turned it into more of a workshop. They had to present back to the main group. We had a few funny scenarios, well everybody was howling and of course when did they show up? It's like you could see these two people walk by and they backed up and they looked at the room and so uh, the CEO said what are we doing here? And I said, we're teaching women's and she said, oh my god don't ever let these two go because they got everybody in stitches and they're teaching women's so I guess that's how I stood up. I don't know. I, I think a lot of what you were saying Karen but Uh, Don't be afraid to be that person that says, I can do that. I can help. Uh, I'm interested in that. Jen?
5: Yeah, I also would say you have a unique perspective from where you are in your role. Everyone does. And I think a lot of times people will, if if you're, quote, lower down the chain, you think that everyone else up the chain should know what you know. They don't. And I'll give you a little s- simple example. This is somebody who I was um, coaching through a, a, a conversation of how do I go have this conversation? I've noticed something. And it was every day she was in chemistry. Every day she would come in. They would QC this test. It would take X amount of time. Every single day the QC the test never got run. Every week they would run the report. Always zero tests run. She's like, why are we still running this test? And how much time we spend wasting doing this? And I said, knows that you don't ever run this test? She's like, well, everybody knows. It's on the report. I said, like, so your manager, what well, the manager would know it's on there. I said, yeah, but when you see the reports all the time, you might not recognize, like, what would it take for you to go and say, we're wasting a lot of money and time and reagents and we keep QC for this and we never run it. I don't know. I just feel like I'm telling them what they already know. Well, why don't you give it a shot? <laughs> and so she did. And and it was like, what do you mean? You know, we, we never run that test. And looking back through the report, oh, my gosh, yeah, we don't run that test. And it became where she was then asked by the biochemists, like, that's great. Thank you so much for bringing that forward. It would save us X amount of money. That's how you talk up, right? Like, It's going to save us X amount of money that we can reallocate to something else. Um, and so she was then sort of tagged to say, well, can you help us go through these reports? What else are we running too many times? What else are we QCing for that we never run? What do we QC for and run twice a year? Okay, can we now communicate with those physicians and have them order a different test instead of that when something else that can be substituted? And that was all from somebody who said, well, everybody knows this, it's already on the report." but you were in a really unique position. So opportunity, be, opportunity right there to be able to, and, and I think I know if I was a, a junior tech right now, I hear everything that we've done and think, oh my God, that's like how many different courses I'm going to have to take that seems like so long, and right? But this is something like you can do right from where you are and make a huge difference, right? And all of us have that unique perspective from the position that we're sitting in.
2: I also think there's uh,
5: a lesson I learned early on in, in
2: the corporate world is that, um, some people have, their, their roles or their jobs, they have scope. They, they know a little bit about a lot of things. And then there are other people who have depth in, in one area. Figure out which one of those you want to be. Because if you want to have depth, you might not really want to be a manager, because they pretty much got to have scope. So think about what, you know, what's your jam? What What do you like? What What jazzes you? Is knowing a lot about about one thing, or about a group of things, or do you like the overview? Do you like the bigger picture?
1: What's your jam? Someone should tweet that out. My goodness, like Chris, I'm coming over to you. You mentioned I think you touched on this a little earlier about some of the some of the roles within a hospital environment. Some of the advancement opportunities these roles traditionally skewed a little bit more towards nursing personnel. So, as a as someone coming out of the lab world, how do you make yourself be able to be considered for those roles that you know you're qualified for, but traditionally, you know, the hiring managers may only look to nursing professionals right. to take them.
4: Uh, Okay, so I think about um, some of the situations that I have uh, in in both my hospitals today. So we're in the middle of implementing a brand new HIS, as an example, and and, you'll put any word in there, we're implementing a new something. Mm -hmm. And there is, especially if it's a general something, that's specific for maybe the whole, not specific for any one unit, but for the whole hospital, everybody, especially people that understand process, have a space in those types of projects because we understand inputs, outputs, and the need for there to be consistency between those two entities. And so we've had actually, in the hospitals, we've had people from the lab bubble up and now are working in IT. They're not necessarily doing lab things in in IT, but they're doing IT things because they understand process. And when I think about how I made myself mobile, I actually went and met the people that lead the other departments. So I made sure that whatever level of leadership in HR knew me just because they went and did an information interview, tell me what you do, right? And this is what I do. And here's who I am. Um, And senior leadership folks, people that are are in the leads of HR, IT, supply chain, all those different people, um, when you just have time to to have a coffee with them or have that good conversation to understand what they do and for them to even know that you exist is absolutely the first step because they will remember you a for being courageous to come and tell them to remind them that a lab is in the institution that they work in, <laughs> and where it might be. Invite them for a tour, this stuff happens all the time. And, and that's where that conversation now gets started. So then the opportunity pops up that talks about process mapping and engineering and you know, whatever metrics, whatever it is, that you're, that's a, whatever your jam is, then, um, then you call up that leader and say, you know what, we had this coffee, remember me, da, 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 da. And I saw this opportunity and I'd really like to have a conversation with you about it. And now that warm connection has been made. And I've seen that happen with some of my folks in in my current organizations. I've done it myself. I've seen it happen with other folks that I've led in other organizations, and it's been really successful for them to to introduce yourself beyond the the department that you're working in because, because you need to translate it for people. HR folks will not instinctively think that there's a place for you in HR, and the same with IT, unless you're working on a lab IT project, but really you've got to show that it is about process. It is about step-by-step-by-step and consistency and quality and standardizing, all those things that we care about because it's our everyday, other departments actually need and just don't know it yet. And you're gonna be the translator for that, I think.
1: So you brought us back to the idea of like building that network and making these connections and this relationship. That sounds extraordinarily daunting. So you reach out <laughs> to people like a and, 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 and make some phone So you reach out, you make <laughs> phone calls, you yeah. set up these informational interviews or go grab a, how receptive yes. are people? Like, it sounds like people are like, oh, I don't want to do that. Well, like, you know
5: what? <clears throat>
1: tell me more if about you're that. you're reaching
4: out to the leadership in your institution and mm-hmm. they're not making the time for you, then that may be the time for a different institution. Because the people that are leading it, really, they have that obligation, right? As a, as a people leader in my hospitals, it is my job to lead just not my people, but anybody else that's looking for it. And so... I make the time to, to anybody who wants to understand the lab or anyone who wants to understand potential roles in my department, I, I do that. I also share with my leadership team that I have done that. So, so they know that that's a, a good practice and I try to, to lead sideways and lead up and lead down wherever I can. Um, I don't know that I've ever had someone say no. I maybe didn't get the meeting as fast as I'd like and that mm-hmm. is okay. There, there are people that are booked three months out and that's fine when the time comes they will make the time for you. But if the opportunity comes up before you've made the meeting, then you just got to push your way in. You've got to be pushing because this may be the perfect job for you. And you're going to be sitting wondering, what if I had, you know, maybe I should have done something differently (laughs) or talk to your manager to say, can you help me talk to this manager? And and most leaders are not unhappy when one of their employees wants to grow, move, develop. I mean, we're pretty good shepherds as far as helping people navigate organizations. And I usually say to my folks that, you know, if, if, if you're not happy here, let me help you be successful somewhere else because I feel that's the role of a leader and that's what I aspire to. Maybe not always as successfully as I'd like, but I certainly give it a gallant effort every time. <laughs> um, and, you know, we'll say 90% of the time it's going to be a receptive thing. And if it's not, then that may not be the department for you, right? That may not be the leadership relationship that you wanted to establish anyway. But for the most part, it probably threw the leader off guard too. I've never had anybody ask to come and just have a coffee and ask what I do. But once they get into it and they start
3: to brag about themselves, it gets real popular real fast. So. <laughs> <laughs> you just nice. of something, speaking you know, of pushing your way in, uh, <laughs> when I took the CHA leadership course, um, everybody interviewed the lab director at the time. Mm-hmm. So she was almost expecting uh, anybody that took the course to request the interview, because that was yeah. part of the project. Mm-hmm. I went right to the CEO, and he, he accepted. So mm-hmm. I got that. She, what do you got to lose? If he said no, we
0: would find somebody else. So it was a good conversation. He knew me from there Okay, so there's too much good stuff in here for me not to pop back in here for a minute. I love the idea of exploring and trying as much as possible in order to find your passion. That so resonates with me. I also really connected with the idea of preparing for opportunities. Whether advancement opportunities come up at your lab or at another organization, that's all totally out of your control. What's in your control is ensuring you gain the right experiences to prepare yourself along the way for when the opportunities do present themselves. And that includes positioning yourself and honing your reputation as well. Grappling with the plethora of formal education options that are out there is another issue I can personally identify with. In looking at my own career development, I got lost in a seat of degrees, diplomas, certificates, and other credentials that are available. It's hard to figure out which option is right for you. I think reflecting back on your goals, where you want to go, is great advice. That helped me figure out which options would get me closer to where I wanted to be and eliminate ones that sounded great but weren't quite right. Finally, I love the power of simply saying yes, of being open to opportunities, even if they scare you. Maybe, especially if they scare you. Whatever your dream job, no matter how grand your vision, you got this. I know you do. All right, I'll toss it back to Mike to wrap up the discussion.
1: Karen, I decided I was going to give you the last word here. Give me one more minute on how you find your jam. <laughs>
4: Um,
2: So self-awareness is
4: really
1: (laughs)
2: important, and it is something that I have worked on all of my career, all of my life, is to really understand what gives me joy, what gives, what what do I have passion for. And, you know, uh, helping people is one thing. That's why I got into uh, lab technology, because I wanted to help people, but they didn't want to change bandages, you know? (laughs) And and so what was the best way to, I wanted a degree, but I also wanted to get a job. So, you know, you you kind of look at what are, what are the balancing points for me? Here's what interests me, but is it going to serve me well in the long run? And that's kind of the, 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 that's the route that I take, um, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't, and so, but you're aware. But I'm aware. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I go into things and I go, I'm probably not going to like this, but how do I know I won't like it unless I try? And then you find, nope, this isn't my jam. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Next. You know. Great. Thank you, and please help me thank our esteemed panelists for joining us.
0: hope you enjoyed this episode and found the advice valuable. If you did, maybe keep that in mind the next time you see a live CSMLS event coming to your area. As great as getting to be a fly on the wall for part of this discussion was, nothing beats being there in person and getting to ask your own questions. So if you get that opportunity, remember to say yes. The Objective Lens is the official podcast of the Canadian Society for Medical Laboratory Science and is produced by Michael Grant and myself, Kathy Bowers. Writing by Michael Grant, Kate Hendricks, Natalia Harhai, and Kathy Bowers. Administrative support by Redmilla Minor. Technical support by Kartik Desai. If you like this or any of our other episodes, please rate them and like our podcast. We appreciate your support. Also, click on the subscribe button so you'll automatically be notified of our new releases. If you're a medical laboratory professional, you can take a short quiz after each episode. Upon completion, you'll receive a certificate that verifies professional development hours. Access the quizzes at podcast.csmls.org. While on the website, you'll find other great materials for each episode, like links to relevant articles. Have something to say? Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter or Facebook using the handle at CSMLS. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.